0: These are the pictures you've seen of January 6th. They're familiar because they've been playing on a loop on every media outlet in America for the last two years. There's a reason for that. But it turns out there's quite a bit of video you haven't seen. And that video tells a very different story about what happened on January 6th. More than 40,000 hours of surveillance footage from in and around the Capitol have been withheld from the public. And once you see the video, you'll understand why. Taken as a whole, the video record does not support the claim that January 6th was an insurrection. In fact, it demolishes that claim. And that's exactly why the Democratic Party and its allies in the media prevented you from seeing it. By controlling the images you were allowed to view from January 6th, they controlled how the public understood that day. They could lie about what happened, and you would never know the difference. Those lies had a purpose. They created a pretext for a federal crackdown on opponents of the Uniparty in Washington.
1: Our office wanted to ensure that there was shock and awe that we could charge
0: as many people as possible. The first thing you notice from viewing the full video record of January 6th is just how many people entered the Capitol building that day. Hundreds and hundreds of people, possibly thousands over the course of about two hours. The crowd was enormous. A small percentage of them were hooligans. They committed vandalism. You've seen their pictures again and again, but the overwhelming majority weren't. They were peaceful. They were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists. They were sightseers. Footage from inside the Capitol overturns the story you've heard about January 6th. Protesters queue up in neat little lines. They give each other tours outside the speaker's office. They take cheerful selfies and they smile. They're not destroying the Capitol. They obviously revere the Capitol. They're there because they believe the election was stolen from them. They believe in the system. Here's the man you've heard referred to as the QAnon shaman outside the Senate chamber. These are not rioters. These are people who wandered over from a political rally. We will not let them silence your voices. After the rally, they walked down Pennsylvania Avenue, where organizers had secured a federal permit to hold a legal rally on the grounds of the Capitol. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. Once at the Capitol building, things began to get chaotic. Capitol police officers fired tear gas into the crowd. A few at the front of the herd broke windows. Someone opened the doors, and many hundreds of others just walked in.
1: We're going to make that the story.
0: Of course, they did make it the story. And at the center of it, the single most famous person arrested that day was a Navy veteran from Arizona called Jacob Chansley, often referred to as the QAnon shaman. The so-called QAnon shaman. QAnon shaman. Someone named Q Shaman. Jacob Chansley became the face of January 6th, a dangerous conspiracy theorist dressed in outlandish costume who led the violent insurrection to overthrow American democracy. For these crimes, Chansley was sentenced to nearly four years in prison, far more time than many violent criminals now receive. What did Jacob Chansley do to receive this punishment? To this day, there is dispute over how Chansley got into the Capitol building. But according to our review of the internal surveillance video, it is very clear what happened once he got inside. Virtually every moment of his time inside the Capitol was caught on tape. The tapes show that Capitol police never stopped Jacob Chansley. They helped him. They acted as his tour guides. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Capitol Police officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. We counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the Senate. Watch. Thank you, Heavenly
1: Father, for giving me inspiration needed to
0: these police officers to allow us to building. Contrast the reality of what Jacob Chansley did in the Capitol building on January 6th, the indisputable facts recorded on video, some of which has never before been seen, with the depiction of Jacob Chansley that you've seen in the media for more than two years. He's a terrorist, they said. He should be killed. Shoot him. Shoot him like if it you burst into the United States if he was dressed like bin Laden would you have shot him shoot him shoot him it makes you wonder who are the violent extremists here not Jacob Chansley and the video proves that but you would never have known from the media coverage the people sitting in the chairs need to be sitting in a jail cell Chansley is in a jail cell he's been there for months If he was in fact committing such a grave crime, why didn't the officers who were standing right next to him place him under arrest? Until now no one could even prove that even happened, but it did.
1: What about the D C thing? I was there.
0: <laughs> so um wasn't something. That's what? Not at all. Lance
2: well, was on the front line too. Do you know if they went in the
0: front before they went in the back? They did. They did go in the front before the back. They
2: did. I already know that for a fact. They we went in separate buses. I mean that was all you know arranged by somebody that was funding it.
3: I was right up on the gate in the front. You're in? No oh I no, oh,
0: you're you're back. So we're, in we're in the back. back. I, mean the back. Um, I wasn't sure. Was own guards. Why wasn't there
2: more security?
0: there were thirty guards out back there. You think it was DC
2: uh, the mayor influence? I think she took the public. Yeah. I think it was going kind for of hot. How does that hell oh, uh McConnell was part? Of it. I was gonna he's say the one, that, he's the one that was part of the uh decision making how much how much security they have on hand. I think they
3: wanted to have a mess. I
2: know they wanted. And welcome to We Are the People Radio. This is your host, Jason Preston, and with my beautiful wife, Alexia. How you doing, beautiful? Excellent. Um <clears throat> well if you haven't uh, already noticed, today we're gonna be talking about January sixth. And uh, one of the things we're very excited about is uh, we're going to actually have uh, an incredible person who could be any one of us uh, calling in from uh, the January 6th uh, jail, who is in jail right now, and he'll be calling in to talk with us shortly. But, you know, as, as we talk today, one of the things I want you to think about, especially as you watch that clip on, on January 6th about what really happened, is... Um, you know, we're going to be talk, talking to not only Taylor but we're going to be talking to his his wife who we're going to introduce here shortly uh, Maria but the thing that uh I think it's important for us to realize is is that they could be any single one of us um how many how many of us could have shown decided to go to just support the former president or just go for I- innocent reasons because we believe in this country and we're not happy with what's with what's ha- happened in 2020 or since then and you know what's frustrating to me and the reason why this is important is you know Jordan Peterson talks about dragons uh, and uh, dragons are things that uh, that are out there that we don't want to face sometimes and what we know about dragons is dragons don't get smaller when we ignore them and what we' want to talk about today is is not only what happened January 6th, but what's happened with the media, what's happened with our politicians, what's happened to the people who are there. Because if we don't face this dragon and start calling these people out and start standing up for what the truth is, this dragon will get bigger and it will come and it will uh, come and it will affect our families and will affect our children because tyranny doesn't just disappear on its own and it does, sure doesn't disappear by from or run away from cowards who are afraid to, to face it. Um. Before we get uh, going, please ask you, please jump. Please help us by sharing our, these posts. Subscribe on YouTube. We are back on YouTube. Uh, it's the same channel as uh, Rumble, We Are The People, UT. The best way to find us is get our website. Please bookmark it. It's wearethepeople.org. Uh, even if they take down channels, we will continue to put stuff out there. And this show is brought to you by you guys, um, people who are helping us, you know, small people just throwing in donations and helping us get this out. Um, you know, this we have been taken over, some, not only by a Banana Republic government, but they've, a but they've long time ago, they've taken over independent media. That's why the media won't talk about this. Why you're, That's why we're doing this, is because Channel 4, Deseret News, KSL, the, the trip, they're not going to talk about the truth. And your politicians sure are not going to talk about it either. So... You know, please support people who will stand up. And there's other people who are doing this type of journalism too. And we are just amateurs. Support other people. Please support the people who are trying to go after the corruption. Um, Alex, anything you want to talk, you want to bring up about that before I jump into uh, the Summer of Love, the contrast that?
4: No, just, just that we appreciate your support. Everything helps right now, whether it's, liking and sharing or you know even just a five dollar donation to us or or some of the guests that we have on the show they need our support too so uh, whatever you can do we we appreciate at this point because we we do this for you and and whatever you can do to help invest in it back you know this is our media you know as as a group as truth seekers and truth tellers we can't do it without you So you know it's
2: it's been fascinating to see the way they've painted January sixth. I mean, immediately after it was this, and almost every single one of our politicians jumped on the same bandwagon, calling it terrorism, calling it the, comparing it to Pearl Harbor, literally comparing it to Pearl Harbor, uh, sharing a very false narrative or a very skewed narrative of what actually happened. And that's why I appreciate Tucker. I think this is one of the reasons he was removed is because January 6th, they are using as a catalyst to fundamentally take over this country and silence us and get us to be afraid to stand up and speak truth because we don't want to be seen as domestic terrorists. And the thing we know is the more we sit and be quiet, the more powerful that dragon gets. And just to contrast, I want to kind of remind people what happened that year, because it was literally months before, just a few months before January 6th, our streets were on fire. And I want you to see this video from Michael, excuse me, Michelle Obama, and to see the lie, the way they, the way they tried to spin what happened the summer of They're stoking
5: fears about black and brown Americans, lying about how minorities will destroy the suburbs, whipping up violence and intimidation. And they're pinning it all on what's been an overwhelmingly peaceful movement for racial solidarity. It's true. Research backs it up. Only a tiny fraction of demonstrations have had any violence at all. So what the president is doing is once again patently false. It's morally wrong. And yes, it is racist. But that doesn't mean it won't work. Because this is a a difficult time, a confusing time. And when people hear these lies and crazy conspiracies repeated over and over and over again, they don't know what to think. With everything going on in their lives, they don't have time to fact-check falsehoods being spread throughout the Internet. And even reasonable people might get scared. And the one thing this president is really, really good at is using fear and confusion and spreading lies to win.
2: Yeah. A little bit of a... I mean, how, how on one hand, we have the city being burned down, seven, over 700 police officers injured um absolute it just literally watching our our cities and country be set on fire and somehow we call that peaceful, peaceful. and meanwhile what we see was, was really peaceful people showing in the capital and yeah i'm sure some people got rowdy and obviously we know that there was fbi people in there inciting stuff and yet that's reasons for going to war and having our president come out and and call people who showed up and people who support our our past president, domestic terrorists?
4: Especially with what's going on in our borders right now. When you think about the real invasion and the real insurrection going on in this country. So, yeah, we can can let people burn down the streets as long as they are helping
2: the establishment's purpose. We can open our borders and and bring in millions of, of what we know are terrorists and undocumented people who we have no idea who they are. In our own backyard in Utah, we know that 67% of illegals, this was from the ICE agent, 67% of illegal criminals are being released back on the streets because Cox and his policies are not are refusing to work with, with ICE. And yet, you and I, when if we show up at the Capitol because we're concerned about the future of our country and where we're headed for our children and what kind of country we're passing on to our kids, the government's going to turn
4: on us. And call us domestic terrorists. And you actually played a clip in a show, it was probably about a month or two ago, uh, about the air marshals. Do you remember right. this? Yes. Uh, talking about the air marshals are now being pulled off planes because they're now being tasked with following not just J6 people that were at the Capitol, but anyone that was traveling at all on January
2: 6th. To the, towards the
4: Capitol. Towards the, if you went to a funeral or NBC. a job interview in D.C. on January 6th, you are now being tracked by air marshals.
2: Yeah. And and meanwhile, we know that the true, true criminals are being released on our streets. They're coming through the border. And I think here, here, the reason we're doing this guys is it's like, at what point do we want to face the reality that, that our government has been taken over? That, 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 those who stand for freedom have become the enemy. At what point do we want to realize that we? it's no longer, you know, we are at war. And I would like to introduce someone here who has been affected, because some of us haven't been affected yet. Some of you are sitting in your homes like, well, I don't really see anything. They haven't come for me yet. The FBI agent, I wasn't the one. The FBI agent broke into my home in Provo and shot me. You know, it wasn't me that was affected. And, and I'm, st- I'm still fine to be on social media and post. And, yeah, they censor me. But, you know, one of the things about Germany is people say, well, how do things happen in Germany? How do things get out of control? And they interviewed people. And one of the responses that I thought was fascinating is, is common responses said, well, we saw things getting bad and we just kept waiting for that next big thing. And then we thought, well, as soon as something big happens, we'll stand up and we'll push back. And the problem is the way these tyrants work is it's one little thing. Infraction at a time, one little enslavement at a time, one chain at a time. Each one not big enough in itself to stand up and push back. And it, when it, at, in, until the time comes, it's too late. I feel that time is coming. I feel it's it's we. If we don't stand, it, like this is your time to call to stand up. And we have someone who's going to we're going to. I'd like Alexia to introduce who. That time's come and gone. It is Her life has been taken because her husband's been taken from her. Um, and I want to thank her. She's come out from Washington. I'll have Alexi introduce her.
4: Yeah, and it just makes you wonder what's coming next. We're here again in an election year, looking like it's going to be Trump against Biden once again. It just seems like, okay, this, this feels familiar. What can we do now to prepare for what's coming and what is coming? So with that said, I would love to introduce... It is just an absolute honor to have with us today Marie Jonatakis. Did I say that right?
6: Jonatakis.
4: Jonatakis. You know, with our Greek blood, I should do that better. (laughs) It's (laughs) tricky. Marie has been uh, homeschooling her kids since they were born. I love that. I love that. Taylor, uh, her husband, is a septic designer and installer, father and lover of truth. Similarly to us, he had a podcast previous to January 6th that he shared his experience at the Capitol. And you can find more about his experience and his families at peasantsperspective.com. I'm just going to read a little bit from that website. Uh, This is Taylor speaking, saying that he started this podcast um, and new commentary for the common man. The premise of it was that no matter what the government does, we peasants have to stay focused on our families and in many cases survive day to day. January 6th for him was an opportunity to get content, quote unquote, for experiential storytelling to see major moments in history, win or lose. But he was not incited by Trump. And we're going to hear a little bit about his story today. And uh, I think a lot of us have stories about January 6th, but this one I think will, will really hit home because to see it from a wife's perspective, to see it from family perspective, to see how what this really means outside of solitary confinement in a jail cell, more than just censorship online, where this is heading, and it's a cautionary tale for all of us. So with that, Marie, thank you for joining us.
6: Thanks, Alexia. Um, Thanks. So Taylor right now is in the D.C. jail. He was remanded after a trial that he went through um, that convicted him he was remanded two days before Thanksgiving, so he's been gone for a little over sixty days. Um, he went to January sixth. He had that podcast that you guys talked about, and we watched like all the Americans for this during the summer of love. The Seattle. We live across the sound from Seattle. We live on the Kitsap Peninsula. It's a beautiful place. Anyway, we were we watched as Seattle blocks of Seattle were being taken over. Um, they even brought in porta potties water bottles, all sorts of stuff to support the people that had taken over the East Precinct. Um, anyway, so by the time the election came around and, you know, Taylor had documented some of the election fraud and different things like that, and he just felt like, it is what you're saying, like, where do you go from here? Um, so he took his hand at protesting and, um... A brother-in-law had called him a couple days before and said, we should go, and he's like, we should go. So he was going to go document what was going on and show support for for that, and he ended up going to the Capitol building. It's pretty incredible because a lot of the pictures you see are very sparse. He sent pictures home, and he has documented pictures on his podcast that he did with a sea of people there. There were tons of people there. Um It wasn't just a few people that thought there might be something amiss. Anyway, so he ended up going up to the um, Capitol area after Trump's speech. And at that time, I think the people in the Capitol building had been evacuated. Um, He didn't really know anything with that. He just went up. There was a police line. There was a bike fence. And so he went up there. He had a bullhorn. He was going to, you know, he Talked a little bit about the Founding Fathers, what this country stood for. If we don't do something, at what point do you do something? Um, and so there was, he was in the front of an area, and the fence was, you know, in front of him. And at one point, there was a fellow that threw a water bottle up, and he said, hey, get back, you know, we're not we're not being violent. We, we want our voices heard, and we have to do that peacefully. And so... Um, The intent was that they would, you know, for him, he read Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and had seen different things, and he had seen people push the line quite a bit with BLM. And uh, for him, he thought, well, let's move this fence inch by inch, and we'll fill in the space up to the Capitol building. And, you know, even during, like, the Kavanaugh hearings, you could hear people screaming from, like, even inside the building, into the meeting that they were in. And for him, I think it was just the moment that, you know, there was a mass amount of people there. And this many people care, so can you hold off on on whatever? Or do you know that this many people are disturbed by what went on with that election? Anyway, so, and I hate to put his words into his mouth, you know, but for me as the observer, this is why he went. So... They were going to inch and inch by inch the fence, and when that happened, um, I don't know if it was some protesters or the police that pulled the fence up, and they ended up getting pepper sprayed. And so he fell, and when he fell, he hit shoulders. He, um, like, touched shoulders with a police officer and kind of fell down. And so he was ultimately charged for assault. And uh, for Taylor, you know, he... After that, the crowd dispersed, and he came back and got his hat and came back and got his glasses because it had fallen when they'd gotten pepper sprayed, and he'd talked to the officers. And, um, you know, for him, it was a rowdy moment. Looking back, he's like, I wish I never would have touched that fence, but who would have thought three felonies and five misdemeanors later that would be the case? Anyway, so, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Take your time. Um. After that, an FBI agent showed up at our door.
2: Did he go in the Capitol?
6: He did not. He didn't even go in the Capitol. He did not. Um, nope. He left after that. He thought, "Okay, I've been rowdy enough." <laughs> um. After that, an FBI agent showed up at our door, and he had had a tip from someone, and so Taylor had, you know, gave him the. <clears throat> when he had come home, he did the podcast, t- telling about his experience, and. So he gave him that podcast and he's like, "I'll give you anything. I'll tell you anything. It, you know He's like, I'm not afraid of the light. I'm not afraid of showing you anything that I did or where I was or you know, I don't mind you finding coordinates where I was or anything like that. He had, for him, he had nothing to hide. Um, the officer or the FBI agent talked to him for a little more and he said, "You're fine." And he left. And then a little while later, we were sitting down for family prayer and scriptures and he was on his phone and after I was like hey what's going on you know how come are you on your phone and he's like don't freak out but I just saw a wanted picture of me on Twitter and I was like oh gosh he's like well I'll call you know the FBI agent that he'd become friends with and and check and see what this is all about and I'm sure it's not you know I'm sure I can just clear this up and it's not a big deal so he went and the FBI agent asked him to meet him at a Starbucks. And and he said, well, he called him and he said, let me check down with Washington, D.C., see what's going on.
2: What were you feeling at that time?
6: <clears throat> um,
2: you got five kids.
6: Yeah. I don't know if that's
2: been brought up yet, but yeah, this, is a, this is a mother kids. with five kids.
6: Yeah, and at the time, you know, at the time I was like, oh, you know, like, it can't be that bad. <laughs> you know, like, you oh, I knew anything. what he did. I knew it. Yeah, and... You know it's scary. The FBI is scary, and um, I have a brother-in-law in law enforcement, and I appreciate them and police and everything. And you know he had already kind of been passed off by the FBI with that other guy and or with the agent, and I was just like, kind of like this can't go any further, right? <laughs> anyway, so the FBI didn't call down to DC, and then he had Taylor meet him at a Starbucks, and he said, hey. I have a warrant for your phone, and he said, "Here you go." <laughs> and he said, "I also have a warrant for your arrest." And um, the FBI. I feel like we were fortunate because I've heard stories since then of people raiding people's houses, and I'm super grateful to that agent that he didn't come through our house. I can't imagine how my kids would handle that. So. Yeah, thank God that didn't happen. But um, so he came home and he said, "Hey, Marie, I need you to take me up to the gas station. There's going to be some agents there, and I'm getting arrested." So I dropped him off there, and he they took him to Tacoma where he was arraigned. He had every intention.
2: How did what? How how did you how did your kids react to that?
6: Uh, They didn't know didn't know at the time because um, I had dropped him off at the gas station by myself and I was hoping that this wouldn't be a big deal so we could kind of not even mention it to them.
2: Were you a little bit in denial? Um, what was going on in your mind? You're dropping him off?
6: I, well, it's interesting because he had every intention of going there and pleading guilty because for him he was sure that he, w- it was like a misdemeanor for some sort of mischief and he would have a fine and and community service and that sort of thing. And he's like, I did that. So, yeah, I'm definitely guilty of that. And he went into the courtroom and they started listening off, obstructing Congress and doing all this other stuff. And he's like, oh, gosh, he, assaulting a police officer. He's like, um, no, <laughs> I didn't do any of that. And so he, of course, pled not guilty. And uh, it so was they shocking. Fa- so
2: they fabricated a case.
6: and <sighs> Yeah. They overcharged, and, you know, since then, I, it seems to be the custom. Um, it seems that we're not unique in the overcharging. That's how citizens are dealt with. Um, there's quite a system there that they have, and even with, you know, getting people to um, to take plea deals and different things like that, I mean, you know, when you feel like you're innocent, you want to go to trial because you want to give your peace, and you want to, um, you don't want to take something that doesn't belong to you that you feel. And I think that's an interesting thing, too. Taylor, in the jail, he's like, I feel like I shouldn't be here. And so a lot of the things that he's seen within the jail system, too, that are really wrong. And some of the inmates that he's talked to, not even just January 6th, but other inmates, he's like, I would have had no idea with some of the things that are abuses of people and systems that people, I mean, the jail system, it has repeat customers and it has those for a reason. Well, I,
4: I want to be cognizant because I think he's going to be calling in yeah, any second now soon. from, from jail. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I want to continue on the story because this, this is all this first time that he was taken in. When was this, was this just last year or how long is, ago was no, this? No, it was, um,
6: 2021. So, and I believe it was the end of January.
4: So you've been living through this for a long years. Time. You know he's only been only been in jail for since around November, but every single day there must seem like a, a years. Yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to hearing from him and hearing how things are going for him inside inside the cell. But while we wait for him, let's let's continue on. Well,
2: sure. I, I I do want to, you know, <clears throat> here's and you know, hopefully our listeners and viewers are are. You know, putting this together. You know, I mean, the reason I want to know how I'm curious about how about your experience is because when I, I can't not look at you and not see my own wife. You know, and I think that's what people need to realize. You know, there's in the state of where our country is, there's there's clearly a cost for standing up, for standing up for truth, just as there was you know in, in every marxist takeover from russia to china to cambodia to venezuela there is a cost and the problem is that people aren't willing to pay that cost nothing happens but you know and that's what i, I hope our listeners will, will just start to think about is it's easy to to, to to think about these people in fact what's what what just pisses me off so bad is you know we had when i was running for congress here uh, during 2022 we had a, uh, we're obviously running against John Curtis and John Curtis is one. We'll play some clips from him who was, was, who was very much calling this, you know, terrorist acts and calling it out. And one of our people was said, you know, why don't you stand up for these people in J6? You know what he's told them? There's, there's nobody in jail. That's, that's not, that's a lie. It's a conspiracy, yeah. you know, and people need to realize this, you know, it's so easy to disconnect and, and want to pretend this stuff's not happening. And that's why I wanted you to come down. And by the way, we are going to ask you to, to donate to this family um, because, you know, we're not in a financial situation right now to, to fly her out. She came out here on her own dime to tell her story. And, you know, to to our listeners out there, you know, I, I'm so tired of all the people that, oh, I'm waiting in my basement, you know. Oh, I'll wait when they come. Oh, yeah, I'm a big badass, you know. I'll be waiting with my gun. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so sick of those idiots because it's like, you know what? The war is already now, you know. The war is already happening. You know, what I mean, look what's happening to, to an innocent. F- and what you said, you know, that just really got me. is You guys are sitting there having family scripture study and prayer. You know what I mean? Like, this is like this is you, Utah. This is your backyard. This
4: is great, good caliber people. Versus, just juxtaposition-wise, there's someone in Utah that goes by Jaden X. I won't even say his real name. He also uh, is someone that was present January 6th. He broke a window while he was at the Capitol, shouted out, let's burn this four-letter word down, manipulated the Capitol Police to let them through. Someone like him, who is a known Antifa uh, sympathizer, and he did actually get, uh, I believe, conv- convicted, but is still waiting sentence. These are the type of people that should be sitting in a jail cell. How
2: about Antifa burning down her backyard? Right. These are the people that should be. How about the in people? How about the people coming across the border illegally? How, how, how about the real criminals? Uh, Taylor, it's it's an absolute. Honor uh, to have you calling in.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a, it's a real blessing and an honor for me to be able to call in. We're very fortunate to be able to do this.
2: Well, um, I, I don't want to take up too much time because we want to hear from you, but we have uh, your wife Marie here, and she's told uh, our audience the uh, kind of the backstory about what happened and um, all the way up till you being arrested. And you know, the thing that we tell our our uh, listeners is. You know, Taylor, you could be any single one of us. Uh, you could be, I mean, you're, you are a normal American who just loves his country. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I assume you, you're not a violent person, not a criminal?
1: No, I'm not at all. I've, in fact, I kind of jokingly say this, but it's a very serious thing. I've never even spanked my children. Um, violence is not something that comes to the forefront of my behavior or has been something that's really been a part of my life in any way. So yeah, I'm not a violent person, I'm not an extremist. I mean, I guess if you uh, are politically inclined, you might consider me an extremist depending on where you fit on the eternal circle of the political spectrum, right? But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm just your normal neighborhood guy. I'm a construction worker, septic engine septic designer, septic installer. Um, you know I, I'm just I'm just the guy that you run into at the gas station wearing a high vis sweatshirt. you know I'm, I'm nothing real particularly special. In fact, I, I took on myself the mantle of calling myself the peasant. You know, my my I don't know if you mentioned the peasants' perspective podcast I haven't. but um, yeah, I am. I'm just I'm just very much just an average person.
2: So, what motivated you to go to the capital?
1: Well, ultimately, I got invited by a by a family member, and so that was the impetus to go. Otherwise, I probably would have not uh, gone for myself. I was excited. Um, I thought it was exciting to see a piece of history. I, I viewed Donald Trump as a modern-day Teddy Roosevelt, and uh, and I thought it would be exciting to go see what I considered very likely to be his last political rally. So that was kind of what I thought. I mean, obviously the rhetoric of "Stop the steal" and stuff like that. I, I did not have any uh, illusions that that uh, you know somehow we were going to stop the steal so much as we were going to let our voice be heard. And you know there was a political process that was going to take place inside the Capitol that day that did give a. A opportunity for Trump to potentially recount the electors or do whatever political machinations they were going to do, so you know I wanted to add my voice to that that crowd. But yeah, that was that was really my motivation was just to go see a piece of history, potentially the last uh, you know the last rally for the president and and see the see the Capitol for the first time as a as someone who has a degree in political science and has spent my entire adult life, following politics, like most people follow the WWE. Um, you know, Washington, D.C. is a special city. It's the imperial capital, and I wanted to see it, and I thought it was a good opportunity to fly in, see the monuments, and, and head out.
2: Would you mind, because your wife, and, and by the way, you have an incredible uh, wife. I mean, God bless you. Is, I mean, she's
1: so precious, so precious to me.
2: So, you know, when what, what was it that was going through your mind when uh, – because she, she basically, before we started the call, kind of got to the point where you were arrested and she drove you to the gas station and, and uh, handed you off. Would you mind kind of telling us what was going through your mind as you, as you were saying goodbye to her and, and kind of take us through the story of, of what, it's, what you've been through?
1: Well, I never, I still to this day, you know, I, I accepted all the charges that were levied against me. But I never in my wildest dreams thought that it would include felonies and a zero to 20 year sentence and, you know, a civil disorder and assault on a federal officer. I mean, not in my wildest dreams that I consider that. The FBI, when they had interviewed me, kind of mentioned, oh, this is kind of, you know, this is kind of misdemeanor stuff. And so I, I when I got dropped off, I fully intended to plead guilty, frankly, to the misdemeanor charges. Um, nobody ever told me what the charges were until I was literally sitting in front of a judge, which ended up just being a TV screen where the judge should be. And I'm sitting in a table all by myself with an attorney on a on a uh, teleconference, you know, a cop call. Computers are on call, calling people in the courtroom or myself, and a pillar on the back wall. And the FBI just transported me. That was it. It was just an empty courtroom. So I was so taken off guard when they started saying felony, felony, felony. I obviously felt like I had to, you know, go the not guilty route. But, uh, you know, my, my thought was that it would be something that I could settle, that I would be able to just, you know, hey, if I made a mistake, I want to confront it. I've always felt like to confront these things head on. And uh, I didn't really have a guilty conscience about what happened. I definitely didn't feel you know, like someone who, quote, unquote attacked an officer or anything like that. I didn't see that at all. Just, you know, my, my story and my experience is clearly laid out uh, on the podcast I did on January 8th 2021 when I returned from D.C. Um, I didn't see any violence at the Capitol. I honestly, as I was walking away from the Capitol, I uh, thought that I was the most rowdy person there in, in the form of civil disobedience. Which I, I use that phrase loosely, you know, rowdy person there. Um, it wasn't until I got back to the hotel that I saw you know, that there was property damage and other violence and things like that. But that was stunning to me. I, no, I had no clue. But I will say this. The government never cared. They never cared to ask me what my intentions were, what my thoughts were, they, they didn't care one bit from beginning to end what, what my side of the story
2: was. So did it feel like they just, they had a case and, and they weren't looking for a fair trial, they were just basically looking?
1: The, def- the definition of a railroad is a predetermined definition, destination right where you where you end up. And that's really what this felt like. Like they, they, they had what they had, they had everything they needed to meet their burden of proof and they've got their list of charges, which is just redundant, right? I mean, it's, they charge you for 15 seconds, and they, can, they came up with eight separate charges that all fit the bill. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to be too, you know, on one hand, you know, I'm in, I'm in jail. I'm convicted. I'm sitting in an orange jumpsuit. It really brings out the blue in my eyes, by the way. But uh, at the same time, yeah, it just didn't seem like there was much opportunity to, negotiate. And I think I think the people that were involved in my cases, uh, specifically my defense attorney in the beginning, he was a little bit surprised that we didn't get to negotiate or kind of work through things. Uh, but this was kind of like a pre you know, beginning to end. And that's something that's been discussed inside the D.C. Gulag here. Is the government created a funnel. You know, they created a the big trap where if you went on the Capitol grounds and you were on somebody's body camera and you've got this funnel where they just grab everybody and then they take you to this predetermined trial and you know, they call you an the ex they call you a rioter, they they, they they kind of put all these labels on you and they just put you through the process that there really isn't any turning back from until they until they get a conviction and you know, a conviction know, nine percent or whatever it ends up being in these every them. now and He's then you'll hear about somebody yeah, out of the thirteen hundred defendants. Oh, somebody got the charges dropped or somebody got, you know, one thing changed from a one eleven B violent felon, you know, violent assault to one eleven A non violent assault, you know. So Something really minor, like that. but for the most part, I, I would describe a lot of these cases kind of because in a can. You know, they were they were prepackaged, and they, they, the burden of proof is very low. You know, when when an assault includes the words impede, resist, and obstruct, you don't actually have to hit a cop to impede him, or obstruct him, or resist. Does that make sense? But yet, it's an assault. So, you know, those are the kind of things that you know, I don't think the American people quite realize is what it is that our legislature has put down on paper. To define these types of crimes
2: that's important see what i'm saying that's important
1: yeah so it's like there's there's one individual here who literally he got pepper sprayed because he was too close to the barricade so he got pepper sprayed and he backed up into an officer so he impeded the officer he didn't you know in the trial they kept saying he impeded he impeded so he was convicted based on the fact that he impeded but by the time he got to his sentencing they were saying you assaulted the officer, and he's like kind of offended by the term assault,
2: right? Is, is like, that Reed? Is that officer. Reed? I backed into him. Is that Reed Christensen?
1: Yeah, yes, that is. Maybe my wife mentioned him. So, you know, his case is case. I didn't get to go to the trial and see everything, but that's kind of the impression we get. Is you know, the it's, he, he used the phrase alchemy. You know, you're able to kind of use this wordplay to create this scenario that you know isn't really necessarily the case. The other thing is, you know, when you get pepper sprayed, you can't see anything. So in my, my particular case, is, I got pepper sprayed, I put my arms out, and I touched the officer. Well, in the, in the trial, they freeze-framed the video where my hand is touching the forearm of the officer. I'm not grabbing him. I'm literally just grasping for anything. Right? I'm falling backwards. Um, but, you know, I got rid assault. It's like I touched him. Okay, well, maybe that's some definition of some assault somewhere. You know, I'm a construction guy. out on a construction site. I don't know what a football looks like. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know what an assault looks like. out on a construction site. That to me is just off the go, right? I mean, I've seen what church football than I saw
6: in a particular case. It's, it's you can tell him because to to we
3: he's it's, chopping. It's,
2: you're, you're a little bit. You're a little bit.
6: Don't all of it. You're a little bit choppy
2: there.
1: You're
2: uh, a little bit choppy there. Let me ask you another question. Um, because I have a lot of questions, and, and, and hopefully we can get another call back when you're, when you're free. But I, I'm sure our, a lot of our listeners, what is it like there? W- t- tell us about your experience after they pushed you through this predetermined trial, which reminds me a lot of the Gulag Archipelago where, they are gonna, where they're going to get a confession out of you. They, 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 it's predetermined, They just need, and they're going to get it, and there's no turning back. And so you call it the, the railroad. So they get you through the system. Tell us about once they, your experience in jail.
1: Oh, my experience in the jail has been, has been, I've been shocked at what happens inside of these
2: walls. Because um, you started with solitary confinement, is that right?
1: Yeah, you start with solitary confinement. I spent a week in solitary confinement, and it's 23 hours locked into your cell, one hour out. And that one hour out sometimes is 45 minutes because the guards are, you know, they don't care about your time. And you're supposed to make a phone call, take a shower, clean your cell, and exercise all in, you know, this small little window of time and uh, it is, it is mind-wracking. I mean, I was sharing a cell wall with a guy who's in there for murder. Um, people in that, where I was at, were these, these are serious, serious criminals in some cases. And here I am, you know, father of five, never been in trouble in my life, but yeah, I'm labeled a terrorist, and I'm down here with these, you know, I, I would call them, you know, people that, probably do need to be in there but at the same time we're all going through solitary confinement you know solitary confinement should be the end of the road you've been misbehaving in jail kind of a thing it shouldn't be your hey welcome to jail by the way shut the door for 72 hours and close your food flap see you in three days you know what i mean like it's just absolutely crazy that that happens i would i would venture to say there's not there's very few if any judges inside this country that have been through a jail or prison system especially post-covid COVID changed the way these jails operate and the things that they can do to inmates. It's absolutely stunning. It's absolutely stunning. Give us an example. If a judge had to spend three weeks in jail, I don't think he would be sentencing people to these long, long prison terms because three weeks can change the way you see your entire outlook on life and the world in general. I mean, it is absolutely crazy um, what happens inside of these these jails. It's just absolutely insane.
2: What what, what was the hardest thing about being in in, uh, uh, solitary confinement?
1: Uh, you know, I'm very comfortable in my own skin and sitting with my own thoughts, but the hardest thing was the fact that other people in that jail had what I call TikTok brain. It was screaming and yelling. I was wailing and gnashing of teeth 24 hours a day. They would scream at each other across the hall to talk. They, they If they were lonely, they would start screaming at detail to come bring them toilet paper or something. It was just nonstop noise. I mean, just 24 hours a day, just 24 hours a day with people screaming, yelling, conversing in loud voices, yelling across the cell. Most people that I encountered in here cannot sit by themselves and just be quiet in their own minds, especially in the intake process. People are so addicted to their phones. I mean, and there's no books to read. There's, there's, there was just, for the most part, you're just sitting inside of a cell, just just sitting, waiting for the next, for the food, food slot to open up so they can hand you some food, you know, is, is really mind-numbing so that was that was the hardest part was just getting through that and just the you know the constant disruption of your peace any peace that you could have
2: wow so we've got another minute tell us and then we if, if you can call back i'd like you to but tell if you can give our listeners a little bit of a an idea what what these prisoners in j6 are experiencing what would what should they know
1: um, I would say it was, you know, and, and this is just categorically, it was so bad when they first got here. They spent about a year on solitary confinement, 23 hours a day locked down, one hour out, tear management only letting a few of them out at a time, um, forcing masks, you know, encouraging vaccines, uh, no, you know, no visits, no mail. They, did, they went almost like... You have like, one minute remaining. When they finally got their mail, it was coming in stacks, three feet tall, you know. They were withholding every privilege they possibly could. Um, Now, there's been a lot of organization within the J6 inmates to be able to have normal privileges and normal freedom and to have a much more normal jail experience. We are segregated. We are in what's called protective custody because we're, you know, max security. So we're in the maximum security wing of the jail, but at least we're with other J6 inmates. So there's a fraternity and a shared understanding that, you know, what we're going through is an extraordinary event, and uh, that does help a little bit. For those of us that are coming through this more lately. I mean, I stand on the shoulder of giants for the guys that were here in the beginning. Some of those guys are just absolutely heroes, and they will go down in history as people who took a bullet for all the hundreds and even thousands that are going to come after them.
2: Yeah, sadly, most people don't know anything about them because their stories are not being told.
1: That's right. They were restricted in every way, sense, and form from talking and communicating in any reasonable manner. Like I said, I'm only able to make this phone call. Thank you for using Global telling.
2: Um, we will have another call with him in about a half hour. Um, but um, so many questions. And, and we'll on and the next one, I think we'll, we'll – I know we have some people in the studio that have some questions, and we'll be able to ask uh, their questions as well as everyone else's. Um, I can't help but think of the Gulag Archipelago. I don't know if you've read that. Um, but if, if our listeners have not read that, I mean – I mean, Jordan Peterson talks about that book for a reason, and, and it's very, very applicable to our day. And, it's a, and it is, this is the story of the gulag. It is, it is where the state turns on the middle class. It turns on the people who question it, that question the authority. And it, if anybody suspects anybody, they turn them into, you know, these, the, the, the KGB, the police officers, and then they go arrest them. In the middle of the night, um, your, your situation was much better than, than many but they arrest in the middle of the night. They take them and then and they literally will torture them until they confess. And they have these quotas of how many arrests they need a day. And so it's literally they're looking for reasons to arrest people. Once they're arrested, then they they will invent any number of ways, creative ways, through torture to get them to confess that they have that they that they have you know that to, to whatever crime they need and they to and then to, and, to, and then to give them names of other people who are criminals. Um, And so again, you read these books, if you understand history, this stuff becomes a little more concerning to you. I mean, if you don't know history, I guess, yeah, oh, well, this is a little crazy. Maybe it'll all go away tomorrow. But if you understand history, this stuff's terrifying.
6: It is terrifying, and it's terrifying to me. I'm like, this isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. No. There was a joint terrorist task force that was put against the American people. It could be put against you. I mean, how much money have they spent on FBI agents following farmers? following people. I think about Reed. Like they spent money for the FBI to follow him around for a while.
2: <laughs> and they spent your money. Let's make yes, that clear. They, they spent our taxpayer dollars to chase these good people around and then put them in jail. I want to uh, I want to pull up this this clip. Uh we didn't quite get to but I want to get to this cuz I think it started over. Yeah, let's start this over. Um,
3: Now to the U.S. and President Joe Biden today dressed the nation. This speech on the American soul was delivered at Independence Hall in Philadelphia and it was the most divisive, hate-filled and fallacious speech. This is the worst speech I think I've ever heard from a U.S. President. Biden's hate speech perfectly matched the dystopian aesthetic Far from unifying the country, the president is keen to paint half of America as filled with extremists who want to destroy democracy. To be a nation of hope and unity and optimism, or a nation of fear, division and of darkness. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. (laughs) Can't you feel the unity there? And what's that with that sinister backdrop? Of course, it wouldn't be a Biden speech without outrageous lies. This is how he describes the American economy, which is in recession. And today, America's economy is faster, stronger than any other advanced nation in the world. We have more to go. And of course, no Biden speech is complete without the leader of the free world looking a little dazed and confused. But I've got to say, I prefer the incomprehensible gibberish we often get from Joe Biden compared to the dangerous, divisive diatribe we got today.
2: What do you think? What do you think of that speech? Especially you. When you saw that speech, what were your thoughts?
6: you know we just had that Iowa caucus and they were talking about um I saw some clips of some people that were talking about how they were just Christian white men that were voting for Trump and that they're racist and different things like that and I'm just like we're not we're not racist we're not we're not trying to divide each other and I think that's where they find that they have power is when they can most of my neighbors are more liberal, most of the people that I live by. And when I tell them about what's happened to Taylor, they're shocked. And the narrative that they know from January 6th is not the narrative that, they, that we talk about and that we, and they'll ask me like a ton of questions like how could that happen or, and I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea.
2: I mean, you guys are like the salt of the earth. You know, I think part of, part of the problem and one of my real frustrations is, you know, the, the media has spun this narrative, you know, and I'm not some brilliant guy. I mean, it's, cl- it's clear. I'm just like very, you know, we bring we try to bring people on to, you know, explain what's going on. And I'm just a regular guy trying to make sense of it and help other people and make sense of it. But but I could tell that that was staged. It was clear that that was staged when it was happening. I could pull up text messages. I was texting people that that was it was staged. You've got Biden, then you see the real footage. And here's my frustration is, <clears throat> where's the accountability one for the media for fueling the narrative and two for our politicians. How many of our politicians who are especially supposed to be Republicans are out there? In fact, here you've got to this article. And I'm, I am gonna read, on, read from this because in Utah, you had Curtis and you had Blake Moore and you had Spencer Cox all pushing this narrative. Um, Representative John Curtis, tweets, my anger continues to grow over today's desecration of the United States Capitol, our nation's home what happened was an act of domestic terrorism inspired and encouraged by our president um, <clears throat> the, uh, he, he goes on to talk about, uh, to, to call these people out um, where's the accountability You know why, why aren't our reps standing up and, and doing what we're doing You've been given a, a, to our reps. The people have given you a, a podium to stand up and represent the people, to protect our God-given rights that are based out of a constitution that was created at Independence Hall right where we saw Biden stand up and, and literally call half the nation domestic terrorists. And where's our Reps. Even my, even Michael, even the good ones. Why don't you stand up and call this what it was? Why don't you stand up for these mothers? Why don't you stand up and and say this is wrong? It's because you care more about your power than you do about the constitution, the people. And that's the truth. They don't have the balls to stand up for freedom. They want, they, they want power. Curtis, where are you at? You're running for Congress. Oh, now I'm, you want to be a Senator. Stand up, show us. It's the same thing with all these Utah reps in bed with China and know they've been on the wrong side, That yet they won't call out China. And that's the problem. Our country has been hijacked, and our politicians would rather stay in office, not ruffle feathers, and do as little as possible so long as they can keep their seats. Alexi, what do you got? Because I'm just ticked.
4: Now I'd love to, to finish the, the story of, of Taylor and, and what happened after... Uh, he was taken in and I'd also like to touch on some of the recent stories uh, developments you know just just earlier today Navarro getting charged and and certain uh, cases being re-reviewed so I'd like to jump into that a little bit if we have time yeah but I'd I'd love to continue on from from your perspective how everything went first
6: yeah so we waited quite a bit of time Um, at first we had an attorney and then a little bit after that Taylor decided to represent himself to present himself how, um, how,
2: financially, how are you guys, I mean, he's, you guys aren't, like, rolling in, in money, uh-uh. so how, yeah. how, what's this, do you, I mean, it's so is expensive. that part of the thing, you can't afford attorney?
6: Um, there were a lot of different reasons why he chose to do that, um, it's, it is hard, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, the interesting thing is, is so he decided to present himself during the different hearings and things like that. And um, at the end of each hearing, he would say, you know, I've reserved all my rights. Um, He didn't argue with the prosecutors. He just accepted everything. And when they, you know, he never waived the speedy trial after his attorney was gone. And at the last hearing, he asked the judge, he said, Judge, it's taken over 400 days for me to get to trial. You guys had 70 days per the Speedy Trial Act. And the judge said, just take it to the appeals. Oh, and then mocked him up. I'm like, um, that takes time and money. And I'm pretty sure the Speedy Trial Act actually came about to avoid that. Yeah. And it's just fascinating because I just think, you know, we think we have this such a free land we're not much different than having the crown over us i mean a lot of the abuses that that we separated from england because of those abuses we are experiencing right now and people do not realize it it's really hard and the toll it takes i mean we've been dealing this with this since january 2021 our kids have gotten bigger and bigger and now, like, even with sentencing, I have no idea. We, know how, we have no idea how long he'll be gone. Will it be two years? Will it be 20? I have no idea. How do you plan for that? How do you tell your kids, oh, you mean may not see dad until you're, you know, 20 years old. <laughs> oh, what did dad do? <laughs> I can't tell you. So it's just, um, it's hard. How do you... And, you know, one thing with studying history, you talk about studying history, I I remember I taught this class for, it was a homeschool, high school class, and um, we talked about the Cultural Revolution. And we read this book about the Red Scarf Girl. And it was called The Red Scarf Girl. And anyway, so many themes that they went through, so many things that happened in that book were seeing played out at the very moment, at this very moment. And what stops it? You know, I think of Taylor and how he went. He went unarmed. He went, lots of times people say, oh, you know, vote. What happens if your vote doesn't count? Oh, take it to the courts. It hasn't been super successful in the courts as far as really finding justice that we've seen. And I think even, you know, with a lot of the election stuff, they said, you know, if you've got some problems with election fraud, just take it to the courts or whatever. And we've seen those people that have be completely prosecuted, persecuted. I remember, I just saw this morning the lady that does the True to Vote, True to the Vote organization. Uh, she's in jail right now because she wouldn't give up one of her sources. So we don't have the courts that can help us. I'm unwilling to take up arms against my brothers and sisters. What do we do? What do you do? And you watch the country. And you watch different countries that have done this in the past. This is not unique to us, but we think we're invincible. We think we have all these rights. Not so. And it's, um, you know, we have five kids. And I just think, what are we leaving to them? And how can we leave something better? To me, I'm like, the divisiveness, you know, Joe Biden with that divisiveness, and I know we're guilty of it, too, on the right, when we look at each other hatefully, they get so much more power, so much more power. And I just think that's why I started the Peasants Perspective website, because it's not too hard to convince our friends and our conservative friends that, you know, that We're in the right, or whatever it is, you know, to be supportive that they're supportive of us. But for people that don't see January like see it differently, I'm like, hey, it's not what they are saying it was, and how they're going after people. If it was a cause that you were for, you would be appalled at what is going on. I sat next to a man in the on the airplane. And uh, he's like, weren't there multiple officers that died that day? I'm like, it's so interesting that you say that. Mm -hmm. Did you know there were multiple multiple civilians that did? Most people have heard about Ashley Babbitt, but they have not heard about the others. There are people at the D.C. jail that know about the others that got put there at the very beginning, so they couldn't talk. It's so sad. When Taylor got to jail, there were people that he had read about and they had seen, you know, footage and stuff. And he's and he had talked to them about their case. They didn't know hardly anything that he knew about their own specific case. What do you mean? So, like, he would talk to a specific person, be like, "Wow, you are here. You know, this is what happened." He's like, "Is that what happened?" Like the discovery that they needed to even like defend themselves, they were not getting access to. What do you do? You know, and I, I think to myself, I'm like, how, I was talking with a brother-in-law and I was like, he's like, you know, it's, it's when the people say no, like, you know, we have this, we have this belief in a government and it's because of our belief that that worked really well, (laughs) (laughs) really well in the system.
2: Hello. Welcome Hello, back, Taylor. Taylor, how are you? You should have, you'd be able hey. to hear everybody now this time. We've got you on uh, Bluetooth. Okay, great. Um, so, yeah,
1: go ahead and continue whatever questions you have.
2: <laughs> well, your, your wife's just been talking, and, and uh, the thing that she just talked about that just, you know, she's it's it's so, and I think what she says echoes in the hearts of so many people right now is, you look at the justice system you know you look at the constitution you look at the law and all these things that are supposed to be there protect our god-given rights and you feel like and, and you know what do you do when these things are not work you know when you realize that these that, that we are te- that we have lost the republic we have lost we have lost the accountability that we the people are supposed to ha- have over the government and what are you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, to our to our people out there who say, What do you do? What are your thoughts? Uh, this is the process. Every major change comes when the
1: people start to remove their consent. And I am not I am not an advocate of violence in any way. I do not believe that we will ever successfully quote unquote overthrow the government. Okay. But I'm also not an advocate that somehow we can reform the government and that slow by slow little measures we can do it. Martin Luther King and Gandhi both nailed what had to be done. We must remove our consent. And the way we consent in today's day and age is with our dollars, our eyes, and our clicks, our time, our energy, right? So first and foremost, um, people need to really assess what they're doing with their taxes. So in the position I'm at, I'm not someone who can advocate one way or another what to do, but you have to realize in the words of Henry David Thoreau, you are contributing to your own meanness. Your money is going overseas to kill innocent people. Your money is going into prosecutions of January 6th defendants, okay? So so Congress, the legislature, is supposed to hold the purse strings. But we, the people, are the purse, okay? We are the purse. And so you have to ascend into that power. Um, I'm not really wanting to take a huge stand on that, but that is a big deal, Okay. They can print all the money they want. They don't need your money. What they want is control over you, okay? Because money's not backed in gold and silver. So they don't need you to pay, right? They don't need the asset of money. What they need is you to consent by giving your control. So recognize that. You're contributing to your own meanness. The next thing is, is you've gotta put your attention to things that support your cause. So those of you that are listeners to this podcast, this is a good cause. Don't listen to the pundits That say things and support causes that you don't do. Don't get riled up by that, right? You need, you need to, you need to have the willingness to turn off the programming that's literally programming you, your children, your brains, and turn on positive programming that you support. Okay, so you need to, you need to direct what dollars you do spend to the things that you support. You need to spend your time doing things that you do support. The other thing you need to do is you need to take a really proactive stance. When it comes to communicating with your legislatures, with your legislature, your senators and your congressmen, you need to you need to actively write letters and call them, even about little minor things. I used to intern inside of the state capitol in Idaho, and part of my job was to kind of tally up how many people called about such and such issue. And legislatures know if one person calls, there's a hundred or a thousand people behind it that would call and will vote, right? So you need to become extremely activists when it comes to taking a hardline stance on certain things. Um, that that is that's my advice. The other thing too is is understand civil disobedience. Study people like Gandhi and Martin Luther King. The reason the civil rights era worked and brought so much change was because they were willing to go into a segregated restaurant and sit there and force the waiter and force the police to look like fools, bringing in dogs, bringing in water hoses, and doing stupid things to pull them out. And, they, and they, they took it. That's one of the strategies, not strategies, but that's kind of what I'm experiencing with this is, look, I'm just going to absorb this. I'm going to let it be what it is. I'm not going to turn around and engage with them. In the Bible, it says, go not the way in the oppressor, walk not in his paths. And, and there's a maxim of law that says that the position of the defendant is preferred, but the defendant can become the plaintiff or a prosecutor, a.k.a. a synonym forsaken, the accuser, by virtue of his plea. So when you start to argue and you start to uh, go back and forth, you become no better than the person accusing you. And that's what Martin Luther King and that's what Gandhi understood was let the person who's the persecutor remain the persecutor. You need to remain the defendant. You need to remain the innocent party, the one who violence is brought to. When you bring violence to someone else's doorstep and they do violence back, now you're just in a back-and-forth puzzle. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So we have to be strong enough. We have to be strong enough to understand what civil disobedience is and how civil disobedience is effective. And, and that, is, that is critically important. That was a massive failure on January 6th. And, and, I, and I'm saying this very cautiously because these are my brothers in here. But some people genuinely got a little bit out of hand and that made it very difficult for people like you at home to judge the situation of January 6. If all you saw was cops throwing canisters of tear gas into an innocent crowd and all you saw was them flinging batons at people, then then you would be completely on the side of the protesters, but what you saw was the protesters responding back
2: yeah. in kind. But does that you make also sense? saw and then it's like oh the FBI instigating it too though. So I mean there's that. I mean can that Yes, I, be I and and absolutely. Absolutely. But
1: if, it, if, if, the, if at the end of the day, all you had was 200 FBI agents that were violent, then that you have 200 FBI agents that are violent. But instead, you've got a couple hundred patriots that we're just trying to respond in kind. And, and I'm saying this with, with the utmost tone of, I don't know that there was a better way or a different way to go about it that day. I wasn't in everybody's shoes. I didn't see it. I wasn't there when Roseanne Boylan was killed by a police officer beating her with a stick and, and having her trampled. I wasn't there when Ashley Babbitt was shot. Right? I wasn't there. And so I, I, can't, I can't pass judgment, but I'm saying as a matter of principle, we have to be willing, like in the civil rights era, when something is completely unjust, we have to comply with it completely. And what that means is you have to – if you're going to go into a segregated restaurant, you have to sit there and let the cop drag you out of there and comply. And what I mean by comply is let him drag you out of there without you know, doing any violence back. And then when the world sees that, they go, oh, this is wrong. Cop shouldn't be doing that. The guy should just be allowed to eat. Does that make sense? Yeah. In one generation, Martin Luther King and his followers changed 600 years of segregation because they finally showed the world how unjust it was, right? And so we, we the people have to have this really strong attitude. Look, Gandhi, Gandhi freed India from the British tyranny, the economic tyranny, by simply saying, look, stop buying their teeth, stop buying their – their their garments, start buying homespun garments, start buying local, right? I mean, this is the, the hippies have it right in a big sense. Like, start going to your co-ops, take your children out of school and homeschool them. You don't have to worry what the schools are doing with transgender, blah, 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 if you take your children out of it. But if you leave your children in it, and then you're just trying to kind of argue all the time, you're literally contributing to the problem. The meanness of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, it, and it is a matter of I am the solution. What is the solution to poverty? I am. If I see someone in want and need, I am to take care of them. I'm not to leave it to someone else. Right. I'm not to leave it at some Robin Hood who's going to steal from the able to enable the unable right? I have to be the solution. If the school system is bad, I have to be the solution and put my kids in homeschool and teach them myself. I think if the TV programming is bad, I have to turn it off.
2: I think that's a very important. And and Alexia has a question. I'm going to turn to her, but I think we're so wired to say, you know, to think someone on a great white horse is going to come fix all our problems for us. We're waiting for someone else. We're waiting for the president. When Trump gets in, he'll fix it. When, you know, and I think that is the exact opposite of we the people, which is about exactly what said personal accountability. let like, see, what was your question? Then I think we have a question in the audience too. Sure,
4: sure. so I know our time is limited. So I, I think a lot of people, especially our viewers are curious. Uh, two things. First, would you do anything differently? Now having all this time, especially in solitary to reflect, would you do anything differently? And, and what would that be?
1: Um, that's a really tough question because, uh, I definitely would not have made one particular video when I was leaving the Capitol where I used a lot of hyperbolic rhetoric and I didn't know everything that had gone on. So if I could just turn back the hands of time and tap myself on the shoulder, I'd say, Hey, this little video right here where you talk about a civil war, don't say it. Right. But I was in the podcast mindset and I was using a lot of hyperbolic rhetoric. Um, that would be the one little thing I would change. The rest of it, in many ways, the die was cast. I mean, that was kind of fate in some ways for me. Um, so I don't know what I could change, you know, uh, what I really could have changed in some regards. I'm very sad that I'm going through this, but in another regard, I'm going through this so that I know what it is that I can change for my children. I don't want my children to live up in a, in a, a country that's even worse off, right? If somebody would have stood up to the tyranny 30, 40, 50 years ago, if the civil rights movement would have continued appropriately past Martin Luther King's death, we wouldn't be going through a lot of this that we're going through today. But people became complacent. They let someone else fight their battles for them. And so in, in many ways, I'm just saying, listen, if I have to go through the judicial system so that I can be the one to say, hey, this is not right, then so be it. And, I, and I've accepted that as my, as, my, as my duty and obligation to my children as well as to my neighbors and my society. Awesome. If someone like me has to go through this so that I can speak for those who cannot, then so be it.
2: Awesome. We have another question for you from someone who's in, in the audience here in the room. Taylor. It's so good to have you on. Uh, your wife's here and she is so supportive.
1: We're so glad to have her in here. Um, yeah. How great. many, how many are in there with you? So we just had a whole bunch leave this week. I think we're down to like 22, but it changes all the time because guys will get remanded from court and they'll come in here and so the numbers will grow and swell. Um, but this is this is like the D.C. Gulag is the holding station for the D.C. courthouse. So if you get remanded from trial or if you fail to appear, they, they you end up here. A lot of the people that are going through this, they report directly to the Bureau of Prisons, to the prison system. So they're spread out all over the country. So currently, right here in the DC gulag, I think as of this morning, we're at like 22. But associated- when I first got here, we were at like 32. We were at like 32. Okay. And you've associated with how many since all of them? Uh, okay. I know I know them all by name. I've ate, I've broke bread with all of them. We're locked into a very small area. You can't help but you can't help but know every single one of them intimately. And you've associated with how many like you since they took you? you have an approximate number? Well, since I've been in here, I think probably about 40, 40 that have come in and gone, you know, numbers have come and gone. Some of them have become very close to me. You know, some of them um, have become like brothers and uh, some of them, you know, I probably wouldn't hang out with out in the real world, but so be it, right? you're not going to have a perfect slice of demographics everywhere you go. And how many of this number do you think would be hopeful for a pardon? I hope for 100%. I hope for, I hope I, if 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 hope means anything, I hope that 100% of the people that have gone through this experience get a pardon. the the people that um the people that were here originally that were denied bail because of the actions that they took on that day or because they had prior criminal records. I'm telling you, what they went through is is horrible. It is it is it is it is like uh, Geneva Convention level oppression and, and jail conditions that they went through. I mean, it's bad. And I, I couldn't even begin to tell you some of the stories. Those are going to be stories for them to tell in the future when they're finally liberated from this. But um, they deserve pardons. There's nothing that they did on that day that warrants the things that they had to go through in the beginning. Period. In my in my opinion. Taylor, we're um, we're down to our last
2: uh, uh, two minutes. Uh, I'd like to give turn turn that over to you and to our listeners here in Utah. Um, if there's anything you could leave with them, advice, what would you tell them?
4: And also, what's next for you? Listen,
1: uh, for next for me is sentencing on April 4th, and uh, so we'll see how that goes. To the the listeners in Utah, we are in here because of the consent of the people, because the people allowed and acquiesced for the January 6th committee without making too much noise, because the people just kind of sat back and thought, oh, well, if they were violent, they deserve it, blah, blah, blah. You need to raise massive awareness. You need to let your senators, your representatives know that this is number one important. January 6th will open the door to figure out the election fraud in 2020. It'll open the door to a lot of government corruption. It'll open the door to a lot of different things. January 6th is kind of a key that picks the lock. Somebody said this to me me once. They said, if this was political persecution, a politician would have stopped at about 50 arrests because he would have made his point. The fact that we're at 1,300 and counting, this is institutional. Wow you have it, 1
3: minute remaining
1: they are doing something and creating precedents that will last for generations do not think that what happens to us will not touch you your children and your grandchildren at some point right so you need to you need to make this a central focal point i i have a very hard time believing they can take the leader of the free world off twitter and they can do the things that they've done and 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 that we can come back from this right so this needs to be something that you, you really raise your level of, 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 uh, awareness and really talk to the people that are in office and let them know, listen, if you don't take care of it now, you are not going to beat it for the next round. We are going to do everything we can for the next guy who says he will. And if they don't, then the next guy and the next, you know, it's got to be absolutely relentless in my opinion. I mean, the, the January 6th ticks the lock to so many things. Um, and, and it is the culmination of so many things that they're trying to, um, change about how they go about everything from the judicial system to the administrative state, et cetera, et cetera. So just don't, don't let your foot off the gas pedal. Thank you for using global telling. Jeez.
2: Um, I know we had a lot of stuff we want to cover. I, I am, cognizant of time. Um, Marie you've, you've spent time in Utah, you know, Utah, you know, the culture here. Uh, I would, I would like to hear your thoughts you know, to, to the people here in Utah. Uh, there's a saying here all as well in Zion. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, <clears throat> we have a state that has become extremely progressive, uh, pushing this the sm- the, the, f- the first smart city in America is being built right here at the point, uh Utah City. Uh we've we, we are we have found that we are more in bed with China than any other state in the country, even to the point where it, literally they, they in, there's an associated article, associated press article. Uh, was found that if they even are able to control our legislation, stopping legislation that they don't want and pushing legislation forward that, that they do want. Um, the United Nations, uh, the only place the United Nations meets outside of, out of, of New York is, is Utah. I don't know if you knew about that. And then you've got the World Economic Forum writing articles praising, praising Utah. And, uh, I mean, the, the list goes on here with, with this progressivism that's happening here. Uh, and meanwhile, it happens because so many people here feel like there's, uh, there's no problems. There's nothing to worry about. Like, everything's fine. All The saying is, all is well in Zion. Um,
6: I do have some thoughts. As there.
2: a mother who's had your husband ripped away from your side, and a wife um, of, of, a, of a good Christian home, who grew up teaching their homeschooling the kids, teaching them the scriptures and and praying. Um, You're you're someone who I think a lot of people can relate to here. What, What advice do you have for the people here in Utah?
6: I think one thing is, is we often wait.
2: Pull that mic closer to her.
6: Sure. I think one thing is, is that we often see, like, we think someone else will do it. And we see, I think, a lot here in Utah, too, which is, really religiously bla- based, which is beautiful, but we often think, oh, a church leader will save us or someone else will do it. I'm too busy. It gets to the point where when will it take precedent? Like when will it be the most, Im- like an important thing for you? And if we all did something, and so we all didn't have a ton of time, but we all did a little something, it would magnify it the little things that we could do to a much greater level. I just think that we put off for tomorrow, for the things of today, and we wait for someone else to do it. And then we end up in a spot where we're like, now this really affects my family. And, um, and someday, it could affect your family. And it's not, like you guys have said, it's not getting better. There's nothing that's getting better. And who stops the tyranny? The government? You think they'll keep themselves in check? When has that happened? Ever? And sometimes I think, you know, we all wait for the Savior to save us or God or whatever thing we think will come and, and deliver us. And I, to me, I'm like, we are his hands. You guys, we say that all the time, like we are his hands. God uses people, and he has been consistent about that through the history of time. And there have been incredible things that have happened and miracles and different things like that, but it's because people stood up. It's a tough time to live, but it is a really cool time to live because we can see some really cool things happening. I think sometimes, you know, there is this... this, um, And in principle, that the more good there is, the more more bad there is. And it's just the opposite also. The more bad there is, the more the good can be incredible. And I think even too, you know, with my kids, when this happened with Taylor, I was like, you guys, not a lot of kids get to experience what we are going to be experiencing. And this can be something that you can use to help other people in the future. And so we have two choices. We can either look at this and think that we're the victims and be so sad, or we can actually make it, help it make us better. And that's what I think. Like I think there is a lot of hope. I think when we can look at each other, no matter our political beliefs, and just say, hey, you and I are both human, and you and I both love each other. I served a mission in Brazil uh, years ago, and it was fascinating after I learned the language. And I had been around them for a while. I'm like, you guys are just like me. Why did I think you were that different? You guys care about your family. You care about getting food on your table. You care about what tomorrow will look like. Third world, first world, it doesn't matter. We all have these same desires. And I think that like as people, the power that we have is when we don't become divisive and when we can stand up and say, hey, there's a problem here. And we don't get so offended by each other that we can't even have a dialogue. And that's been one thing that's been so fascinating about Taylor. I have gone to so many places to kind of try to pick up the pieces, cell phone stores, title companies, all sort of places. And it's been fascinating how much compassion I have felt by people that believe completely different politically than I do. We can't look at each other as objects. We have to look at each other as people. And the things that are being done to our family right now can be done to yours no matter your political beliefs, religious beliefs, anything. So that's what I would say is we're human. <laughs> and we have a lot more in common than we have different. And everything with January 6th that, that destroys my freedom destroys yours also. And I pray that if something were to happen on the other side, on the left side, like some sort of cause or something, and if freedoms were being destroyed like they are now and, and narratives were being manipulated, I pray that I would stand up and be like, I stand with you. Even though politically I don't stand by you, I absolutely stand by everything, that, like by all of your freedoms and by everything that that makes us equal and makes us human. So I think that's what I would say to uh, are these U- are Utah people. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Alexia,
4: I I don't know what more I can add. You know, this has been, you know, way more emotional than I've even imagined it could be. You know, the thought of something like this happening, of course, has crossed my mind over the last few years as we've heard about. We don't know too much personally, so I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. But I think we've touched on a lot of the questions, but I want to leave it with our viewers. Why does this matter to Utah? Why does this matter to you and your family? What would you do if you were in Marie's shoes? What can you do to help people like Marie? What can you do to protect yourself against what's coming? And these are all rhetorical questions that I just think we need to walk away and think about. doesn't matter who wins the next election doesn't matter if Trump comes in and pardons. It's it's a precedent for what's to come. Yes, And that precedent's really important because this sets the stage. And it was almost like during covid, there was a new chapter. It was a new book completely that started at the close of that 2019 into 2020. And we're living in uncharted territory, but they're setting the ground rules. And we like your husband said so bravely, you know, we can choose to walk the line like MLK and and Gandhi and, and do what we can peacefully. Peaceful, how, how is it called, the non-compliance, peaceful resistance. And that's what we can do. But what can we do in our own homes with our children? What can we do to help people right now? And, and those are just questions that I think we need to walk away from, from this with. Is what we can do to improve our lives because this could be any of us.
2: Yeah, Marie, I just uh, so appreciate you for coming out here and uh, Taylor, um, I appreciate Taylor going to the Capitol because the fact of the matter is I am a big fan of of, uh, peaceful, uh, non-compliant and uh, peacefully resisting and and I'm a big fan of Gandhi. and, And the thing that made Gandhi powerful is he would submit himself to the abuse But as the abuse came, the people saw the abuse and and it brought more people to the cause because they said, this isn't right. And your husband is, in a sense, and you, it's not just your husband, it's you, you're suffering. You're the one who doesn't have a provider in the home. You know, you're the one without a father to try to manage your children and homeschool and take care of the bills and the home and all the attorneys. But you, you know, are acting, you know, as... As as a Gandhi, in a sense, that you know, because your story, when I see the government, what they've done to you, and, and what the justice is, and how they've tried and how they've tried to destroy your family, you know, that inspires us to say we're not okay with that, and and hopefully to our listeners to say, no, this isn't right, and we're going to stand by you, and we're going to show up at the next time, because that's what happened with Gandhi is each time more people showed up. And each time it forced the government to play their hand more aggressively because, they, the, because the peaceful non-compliance every time, the only way to subdue it was for them to get more aggressive. And eventually peace and truth and light won out. And so, you know, just know, and I hope your kids know that, you know, when they read those stories, you know, that's you guys. You know, that's... And you know that's the cool thing. There's a lot of, you know, women out there standing up to the school board meetings, you know, who are being labeled as domestic terrorists. And I don't know why people don't talk about that more is because we want to pretend it's not going on. But it's, you know, and that's why I love your husband because he's like, where are the men? You know, and that's the role of the men is to protect. And men should be outraged at what's going on here. And outraged at what's happening to you. And and uh you know, this is an opportunity for men to stand up and be freaking men. You know what I mean? Like, take, you don't you know what, stand up for freedom. You know, stand up for your wives. Stand up for your children. Stand up for these good people. You know, and it doesn't take, you don't ha- I mean, it's, help her financially. You know, you care about freedom, show it. Everyone, oh, I'm wearing wear my flag today. I'm a big patriot, you know, and me and my guns. You know, it's like, here's a woman who's been destroyed by your government, You know, are you willing to help her out? You know, are you willing to, you know, help her out? Are you willing to pay a price financially? Are you willing to suffer for this cause? And I can tell you, you know, that's, that's what patriotism means. That's what it means to be a man, is to stand, stand up for those who, who, who are in need of help. And we have such a culture of these beta males, and they won't stand up. And, and I just challenge these men, you know, if beta male, being an alpha male doesn't I mean, oh, I talked about having a beard and saying you're alpha. It means you protect people. And we have people that need to be protected, and this is one. And I would just, you know, encourage people to help this, help this family. And and if there's other families, help them. You know, I mean, at some point it may come to other things where it's your, you need to do more. But you know, if you care about freedom, stand up and and get involved. Share her story, you know, let people know about what's going on. Let's, you know, the thing the establishment fears most is the people standing up and and in mass non complying with their tyranny. And that's what, that's exactly what her husband's, what Tyler said. And, you know, everyone's, it's, we're not, everyone's waiting for that next thing. What are you waiting for? What, 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 what do you need? When is the time to stand up? When is enough enough? And it, That time's gone. We're getting past the point of no return if we don't stand up now. And anyways, I want to thank our listeners because I'm I'm preaching to the choir, but please share this with people. We need more people to understand what's happening in this country and what's at stake because ultimately it's, you know, while this is a story about, you know, Marie and Taylor, this is a story about you and it's a story about your children. This is a story of what's coming. Tyranny doesn't, tyranny goes one direction it gets worse unless the people stand up and fight it. And so I just want to th- thank you. It, it, you. And by the way, if you want, it, I'm encouraging you to do something. You don't have to do a lot. Please go, go down the link below. Help this family out um, because someday you will need it. Someday you will need it, and you will pray that people will do the same for you. Anyways, Please donate, please help her out, and please stand up and and get involved. Dig in, pray to God, ask him what your role is, because, again, we were sent to this earth for this time. This is the greatest time to be alive. We live in prophetic times, and we were not sent to sit on the sidelines. We were sent to shape history. And I will tell you, thousands of years from now, in eternity, people will look back to the great battle, the greatest battle of all time, and they're going to remember, you know, names like Marie and Taylor, who stood and paid the price And I pray they'll remember your name too. And uh, with that, God bless you guys. It's a great time to be alive. Please stand and fight. And I know you are. Please share. Please get your people to be getting for your friends to get involved. Talk to your family. You know, there is power in numbers. And that's what the establishment wants. They want us silent and we will not be silent. So God bless you guys. God bless America. And honestly, God bless Utah. This place matters more than you know. Thank you.